they're about to make the same mistake again. They're trying to make an issue of something that's not the core issue for the people who are going to vote in this election. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. It is indeed prepared for landing, in fact, because Scott Jennings has landed back in the U.S. of A from Germany, France, England, England yeah. all points over in Europe. Kevin and Jared and I are here. Sean is actually... In, yeah, he's in France. He's in France. That's What's right. going on? I, I, I know like five people who have been to Paris in the last two weeks. It's, it's an crazy. Amazing all, on, all on different trips. But welcome back. Thank you. Jared, good to see you. Kevin. Hey, Joe. And Sean, if you're listening somewhere out there, we are recording this podcast on... Wednesday, July 6th, almost 9.30 p.m. on Eastern Time. It's been a long time since we had sort of a full-blown... Like, the last time we did a roundtable, you were sort of delirious with COVID. I was. I was. And we had to do it via Zoom, and I was watching your camera feed, and you were, like, laying on your couch. I mean, <laughs> look, looking like kind of you were... listing off to one side. I mean, you were in the strawberry fields over there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was... But I'm glad to see you. You're, you're healthy. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Doing, doing great. You're engaged. I hope to be. <laughs> But listen, a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, we're not. We can't recap the entire last month. Great interviews, by the way, uh, that you had primed up for us. So, uh, and on the podcast, in uh, in the absence of our roundtable, yeah. So, um, but well, first of all, uh, biggest impression from your European travels, because this is always a great opportunity to see the world. Yeah, you know, obviously from, from a different vantage point. Biggest personal impression came when we, my son and I visited the beaches of Normandy, Utah, and Omaha. We went to Point de Hawk, and and uh, just, uh, I mean, it's just incredibly moving to be there and to then see, you know, what you've heard described, you've seen it portrayed in movies, you've seen the historical photos of it, but then to just stand there and like look at the ocean, look back at the at the beach, and and realize what these guys were walking into when they. Uh, began the liberation of France, and so that was personally moving. On the public affairs side, uh, when I was in Germany, one of my main takeaways from the trip was just the fact that I, I, it, I think we're in a global security crisis. I mean, what really hit home for me is just how much the rest of the world depends on the United States to defend Western civilization. I mean, the the, the lack of military resources in some of these places in Europe, including Germany, is pretty substantial, and it's shocking. And so. Um, and it's just a good reminder about the role that the United States plays in the world. We're a force for good. In most cases, we're all that's standing between the bad guys and everyone else. And and I know there's sort of an isolationist strain running through the United States right now, and, and that, that's a strain that runs through both parties. But I'm just telling you, the more the United States pulls back, uh, the more that, that major developed countries uh, would be in danger. That, that's mind-blowing when, when, when to hear that. Um, are they interested in changing that? I mean, I think Europe is in the middle of its largest land war since World War II. Yeah, the Germans, um, I think, finally have come to a realization that they have to invest in their military, finally. And I think they recently passed a, a pretty substantial spending package to do that. But it takes a few years right. to make tanks and to make helicopters and to build up an, an armed forces. But I think I do think for them. Uh, I mean, Ukraine's not all that far away right. from Germany, and so the idea of a uh, of a hostile sort of nearby country kind of rolling into other countries, I think, woke everybody up. Thank goodness, and it, it it sort of made me reflect on some of the debates we've had about NATO and the role of the U.S. in the world since Trump, you know, came on the scene. 
And I remember when he was saying, we've got to get these uh, European countries to pay their fair share and to participate further in their own defense. And Democrats just totally melted down and made fun of them. Even the European countries right. were all over them for it. Well, of course they were, because that means they have to pay more <laughs> out of the social welfare state. But, but, but you remember those debates we were having and just how much people were crawling all over Trump about it. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you, I think he was right. Now, he was not right when he, his impulse was to try to pull out of NATO. He was not right when his impulse was to just let the rest of the world fend for itself, because not only is that bad for our values, it's bad for the United States. I mean, if the rest of the world is unstable, it's our, bad It's bad for all of us, it's bad for our safety, it's bad for our economy, and, and so on and so forth. But that impulse and idea that he had before this Ukrainian situation happened, that, hey, you guys may want to invest in some of your own <laughs> defense, that was not an incorrect impulse. Yeah, I'm going to use a ridiculous example to hopefully make a good point. I don't know if you guys saw the story uh, that came out in the last couple of weeks about the rapper ASAP Rocky, who had been uh, <laughs> right. uh, detained in Sweden a couple of years ago while Trump was president. I know. I'm, I'm going looking to... at the look on Joe's face. <laughs> no, he's like, ASAP, is that like from a tree? I didn't know the name of the rapper, but once you said detained in Sweden, I recognized the yeah. story. Okay. Do you know who Rihanna is, the singer Rihanna? I've heard of Rihanna. Okay, ASAP Rocky is going to have a child with Rihanna soon. So you may have seen pictures of him. It's Anyways. all over. Is that is that which magazine should I look in that for? Probably <laughs> any of them. I don't know. Rolling Stone or something. Um, if it's not in Newsweek or Russia Today, <laughs> Russia I didn't Today. see it. <laughs> but, well, it might have been in, in it Russia. It might have been around today. Because <laughs> this, took my YouTube feed. this story had a little bit of, uh, made some international buzz when it happened. Trump has this like ridiculous tweet of like free ASAP, right. ASAP. But it came out that Trump was threatening a trade war with Sweden if yeah. they did not release Bring ASAP. ASAP now, Rocky. what's amazing about ASAP Rocky is that he the S is actually a dollar sign yes, in yeah. his name, FYI. So there's he, other ASAPs too, ASAP Ferg or something like this. Uh, yeah. yeah, but anyway, but you know that <laughs> approach, and I don't want to say it's the kind of like bully approach, but like that. America first, kind of strong, like we, like, yes, yeah, exactly, kind of approach is clearly lacking nowadays. Now, we don't have to start trade wars over every rapper who gets locked up in Sweden, but it, it's a sort of interesting story to show, like, how Trump dealt with some of these leaders versus what's well, clearly Well, I, I would bet, and then, and for all that Trump, for, for as unpresidential as Donald Trump was, the whole saber rattling, I and mean, he had that down yeah. in terms of being able to to be as reckless as possible and be able to try to win some concession <laughs> from ASAP. from other countries. ASAP. But I, I bet you that Brittany Griner, the WNBA star, I bet you'd be home right now if Donald Trump was president. You think? I do. Interesting. I I, I feel like she's been there for quite some time. By the way, I, I've been following this, but I, it's not quite clear to me. I mean, they're claiming she's being held on drug charges, but it's not quite clear to me. If they've made totally public what those what was what was the nature? Of I don't have it in front of me. My memory was I think it was some kind of a uh, like a cannabis oil, like you know, sort of like hemp, you know, sort of derived, huh. which is you know considered to be a health extract. It all depends what country you're in and how people, you know, that might have been you know advanced by the agricultural forces in Kentucky. You yeah. know, as far as hemp being a, a, a new uh, acceptable, you know, but heck, you can buy hemp. You, you go to every you know gas station across the Midwest at least, and you see this being sold but, but, like it's a Slurpee. But the truth is, Russia probably is holding her because they want us to 
release someone, I'm assuming, is probably mm-hmm. it's probably a thing. But back to Germany for just... Yeah, yeah, please. So right before I got there, the, the, the governing coalition and the main opposition party reached an agreement to boost military spending by $107 billion. And that would put its defense spending above 2% of gross domestic product, which is what they're supposed to do. If you're part of NATO. So so Trump was never wrong about that. And and pushing these other countries, by the way, not only was he not wrong about that, but remember when he went to the United Nations and he said, Germany, if you don't change your ways on energy, if you don't stop going down this path uh, that you're going, you're going to end up fully dependent on Russia for all your energy. (laughs) And that's going to put you in a terrible spot. And remember the video of the Russia, of the German diplomats, like laughing at him at the UN? Right. Right again. I, I mean, look, right. guy had a lot of fault. I'm just saying, <laughs> he wasn't wrong about some of this stuff. And now it's all sort of, you know, these these chickens are coming home to roost. The problem, of course, and you brought up the, the geopolitical and the economic issues here, the, none of these countries are on an island. And, you know, we already are facing enough inflation. And The, the United Kingdom is. Well, okay, okay. But my point being is. Australia. From, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, both of you. <laughs> My point being is that uh, nothing is in a vacuum here. <laughs> Good. <laughs> the and Philippines is actually many islands. The Cuba. <laughs> Germany, <laughs> Germany is facing a a crisis with the the, the shortage of gasoline of natural gas supplies yeah. from the Nord Stream pipeline. And they're completely at the mercy of Russia here. Oh yeah. And if the, the, the if the German economy Tanks. If there is a if a, another whole other crisis there, which I have no doubt that Putin has, why why does he care right. at this point if that happens well, to them? What does it happen to us? And I'm I'm concerned now about me, and about we're already in the crapper enough with the economy in this country the way that it is. What if that shoe should drop? What if Germany should you know have have if if they're completely sapped dry of their complete energy source. When I was over there, I was told that they had a plan to sort of wean themselves off of this over 18 months. But of course, the question is, what if what if they just turn off the spigot today? What and they're going to be this summer. They're, go- they're going for like 10 days of maintenance, uh, I'm doing air quotes, uh, <laughs> by Russia this summer yeah. to shut down the Nord Stream. And, and then they're supposed to bring it back up. You know, the summer, At that point, though, that's going to be hostage taking. The summer is interesting in Germany because nobody has air conditioning. So it's right. like, they don't, but, but what they're really worried about is the winter. I mean, they're sure. they're, yeah. they're 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 already you know uh, uh, girding up for a a very very long and cold winter. But what powers German factories? I mean, yes, I understand as far as just keeping yourself safe and you know either warm or cold or cool. But what about all of the factories and and in the industry of Germany, which is completely right now dependent upon Russian energy? You know what they don't have is nuclear. Nuclear is like a non-starter in Germany. Now France has mastered this, and they right. they do have nuclear. But, but the Greens in Germany are interesting. They hate oil and gas. They hate coal. They also hate nuclear. I mean, they you can't drive over there without hitting a windmill, and so they love windmills and they love solar. That's not enough to power right. uh, to power a large economy like that. Uh, nuclear is clearly, you know, a good option for them, just like it's worked for France. But they've not gone down that road. And I asked several, you know, government officials there, like, why don't you guys pivot to this? And oh, that's that's not within the realm of the possible. While I was there, in fact, the first night I was there, it was kind of delicious reading all the clips. 
Because in their coalition government, the Green Party currently holds the position of energy minister, and the Green Party person had to announce they were going to start burning coal again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I and I was like, you know, I, in fact, I was meeting with a German member of Parliament. And he was like, "Where are you from?" I was like, "Kentucky." He was like, "Well, thank you for your coal." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. and so uh, it was kind of a delicious thing to right. to read coming from where. We come from here in flower country. Before we exit Germany, uh, tell us, what was the organization that you were there with? What, why were you there in the first place? I was invited over by a think tank uh, called the Friedrich uh, Neyman Foundation, uh, which in Germany, the political parties are loosely affiliated with different think tanks. It's part of their civic affairs. It's, some, it's government funded. Um, and so each each party has a think tank, and, and, they, and many of them do these political exchanges where they bring over... American political operatives or American, you know, public policy types, uh, and and uh, and basically take them around Germany, and you you meet uh, local people, you meet national politicians, you meet business owners, you tour different cities. You, I mean, you you really get a crash course in German politics. And so I was in Dresden, a little village of called Siphon. Uh, we went to Leipzig, we went to Berlin, I went up to Potsdam, and so I, I just had a range of meetings all organized by this think tank. And I have to say it was an eye-opening crash course in German politics. I learned a lot. We met, we went to the chancellery, we went to the uh, to the Bundestag, we went to uh, uh, several state and city uh, parliament uh, or city halls, Rathaus, uh, it's the city hall in Germany. And so we, we really got a deep education in the issues that are facing Germany, and it's an important country. I mean, it's a big, rich country. It's an ally of the United States. They drive the conversation in Europe. And so I was grateful to do it, glad I did it, uh, learned a lot, and it was worth the trip. Uh, welcome back. Yeah. We, we missed you. I, the most en- enjoyable part for me, I always enjoy watching you on your hits on CNN. It was like Carmen Sandiego. People of a certain <laughs> yes. age might remember, you know, where's Scott going to pop up today? But some of the most striking, beautiful backdrops, and, yes. they, were, and, and they were not wallpaper. They were actual... You were there live in front of these beautiful, you know, medieval, uh, you know, backgrounds. Yeah, in Dresden one morning, I talked the hotel into letting me go out on their balcony, and I had it so five. It was like plus six, so it was like five a.m. in Dresden was eleven p.m. in New York City, and so I was doing Don Lemon at five in the morning, and and so over my shoulder was this just amazing, you know, uh, Lutheran church in the town plaza there. I mean, it was a brilliant shot, and I set it all up myself, of course, not to <laughs> toot my own horn, but, uh, uh, but, it, but it was really amazing. And so I did hits from uh, Dresden, uh, Berlin, and Paris, uh, and so I had three different bylines uh, while I was there. and uh, Like Edward R. Murrow. Yeah. This right, is right. London. You yeah. Know? It's, yeah. It's amazing. But, it, but it, was, uh, it was nice to be able to work a little uh, while I was there and uh, and stay engaged. Although I have to admit, you know, so you go to bed at you know, 11, 12 o'clock, then you wait up at 3 a.m., do your, then you try to get back to sleep. It was it was a little bit of brutal on the on the body clock, but I was glad I did it. Was the, uh, while you were away is when the Dobbs decision came down from the Supreme Court. So were folks interested in your uh, you know, perspective as an American, or was that did that even get much attention in Europe? Yeah, a few people were talking about it. The January sixth hearings were getting some play, uh, just as a just as a high level deal. They weren't in the weeds on it, mm-hmm. but also uh, what's her name, uh, Cassidy Hutchison, testify while I was over there. So you know, you know, you you, you get like a top level, like you know, former Trump aide. You know, says he threw ketchup against the wall. I mean, that you know, I mean, it was basically exactly. a, a you know a headline. As many people were watching it there that were watching it here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, 
Uh, so th those things were getting some, but I have to tell you, this the energy conversation was really dominating sure. the public affairs yeah. conversation over there. You know, interestingly, when I was in England, the Boris Johnson resignations hadn't started. They basically started the day after I got back. So that they coincidence that, yeah. that you hadn't that you hadn't yet uh, hit. What was happening in London? It was incredible. On the, while I was there, they had Wimbledon going on. Yeah. They had like the Grand Prix. Adele was giving her first concert in five years, which I accidentally wandered through one night. Uh, and uh, uh, can we explain that? San Diego. Yeah. Well, what happened was I took, I took Everett to the Warner Brothers movie studios where they have this amazing. It's where they shot all the Harry Potter movies. Everett's your thirteen year old. Yeah, and so he loves Harry Potter. So we big surprise. So we go out to this thing. So we it's about an hour outside of London. So you come back, and the bus is bringing us back to the hotel. We run into this huge traffic jam, and the guy's like, "Well, you can sit on the bus with me for two hours. You can get out and walk." Well. <laughs> You know, I looked at my map saying it was like a 35-minute walk. I'm like, I guess we'll just walk. Well, we were literally on the other side of Hyde Park where she was giving her... Con I didn't know that. And so I'm kind of sketching out a route for us to walk back. I'm like, well, we'll just walk through Hyde Park. Well, I walk into Hyde Park. There's like 10 million people in there all dressed up. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And then I hear Adele, like, literally singing. Like, hello? Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. And uh, and so I sort of accidentally wandered through an Adele concert. It was, uh, uh, and I think that was like her first concert in five years or something. He buried the lead. The Queen was right next to him. <laughs> <laughs> now I did learn about. We we saw the changing of the guards. Queen was not at Buckingham Palace. She is at Windsor. I'm told most mm -hmm. of the time now. But we did see the guards and. And I got some interesting. Uh, they they had a big band, a guard band, was marching up and down the street playing different tunes. So that was we saw a lot of the pomp of the of the monarchy and uh, a lot of a lot of people out on the street in London, a lot of street out uh, people out in the street in Paris. Berlin was busy. Like was there any, was there any sign of COVID? No, no. I mean, I'm just asking no. because it's That's Europe. It's different. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Nah, yeah. I mean, you know, occasionally you'd run into somebody on like the tube or you know in a train, like on a bus, like wearing a mask. But it was extremely uh, spotty. Like it, when you went to the 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 Hyde Park and with with Adele, was was ASAP there? He was not there uh, that I could tell. I didn't look for him. I didn't. It was not until I sort of exited Hyde Park that I realized what I had done. I see. Okay. And so uh, it didn't dawn on me to stop and look around for other you celebrities. Didn't stop and go back. Yeah. So obviously, many things happening back here in the states uh, while you're on your sojourn through uh, through Europe. Uh, some tragedies, certainly the the, the the July 4th shooting, the latest mass shooting of this uh, this series that we've uh, gone through as a nation uh, the last several months. And that certainly, I think, is occupying much of the news conversation. I guess in, in some ways that has taken the place of the outrage uh, from the news media over the Supreme Court uh, Roe v. Wade or being overturned by the, in the Dobbs case. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, would you agree with me, since you, you both have also been stuck here in the States with me uh, as opposed to Scott, uh, have those two things been the biggest news drivers? January 6th to a certain degree, but those other two I think have been the most. Yeah, the, um, the July 4th shooting was... You know, July 4th is, it felt like so weird this year because more than any other year, I, I saw posts where people were like, this is not a year to celebrate, and this is so awful. And then to have this this happen was, was just so tragic because, I mean, just it, it felt like you couldn't, you couldn't see any good news, you couldn't see anything mm -hmm. good, it, you know. We, we obviously had passed gun legislation, and it felt like maybe we we're in some way moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, obviously, a, a, t a tough day. I know I uh, heard from some people in Chicago. I mean, just everything shut down after that, too. So, 
a day of celebration turned to a day of tragedy. Just just awful news, and it and it feels like you can't get away from the bad news right now, unfortunately. So the uh, I, I bring this up in terms of what's being talked about the most. A, a Monmouth University poll uh, came out uh, today, earlier we were taping this again on, on Wednesday, uh, showing that, that Joe Biden has hit bottom in his job approval rating so far, at least the, the bottom the bottom could be going down. He found a new bottom. Exactly, down to 36. I feel like we keep saying that. <laughs> percent. It's rough. But what's really interesting, I think, to all of us l- looking at this poll and I bring this up in terms of what gets the most news attention versus what perhaps is on Americans' minds. And the thing, the biggest concerns, uh, according to this Monmouth poll, uh, far and away, 33% of the uh, Americans said inflation was a number one concern. Mm-hmm. But even you look at the next four, uh, the next three items on the poll is in, in the order of, of, of uh, preference, if you will, or concern. 33% inflation, 15% gas prices, 9% economy, Six percent bills and groceries. So that adds up to sixty-three percent. So two-thirds of the American people have some kind of financial or economic quality of life concern. It's not until then that you get to the next issue, abortion, which is five percent, guns, three percent. And so, you know, if you think about the the breadth of news coverage we've had in this country over the last several weeks, it's it's virtually been wall-to-wall abortion. By the way, this survey was taken fully after Dobbs. So we've had wall-to-wall abortion coverage. We've had wall-to-wall freaking out by the media. We've had wall-to-wall, you know, meltdowns and lying by the Democrats. You have just, it's absolute wall-to-wall, and yet it only registered in at 5%. And, and even with the tragedies of the shootings, guns only came in at 3%. And, and down the list, safety and crime only came in at 2%. And so I think the, my takeaway from this, Joe, is that, is that once again, the priorities of the Democratic Party and the media that supports them are completely and totally misaligned with the basic concerns of most Americans. It, to hear them tell it, to hear them tell it, this entire election is now about abortion. Nothing else matters. It's all abortion all the time. But to hear the American people tell it, as according to this survey, it's two-thirds of them are saying, no, 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 it's my financial situation, it's the economy. And so uh, this happens every cycle. The miss, yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bush light, to... by the way. That's how bad things but have gotten. It, but it's uh, that's right. <laughs> um, but it, but it, but it, this misalignment. I mean, it feels like it happens every cycle, and uh, and here we are again. And I I don't know. I Kevin. Well, because Democrats have nothing to talk about on those top six, six issues that you mentioned. I mean, Joe Biden's out there tweeting that. The gas prices, uh, gas companies just need to lower their prices, and that'll fix gas everything. stations. Yeah. Gas stations just lower <laughs> their prices. That was an incredible burn, by the way, by the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. It's basically saying, <laughs> "Have your intern who tweeted this take Econ 101." Right. That was fantastic. I mean, well, he, uh, he, that they went after him, and then Jeff uh, Bezos. Jeff, went after yeah, him. Bezos went after him. But I mean, it, but basically, our national. I'm glad you brought that up. Our national energy strategy has been reduced. To an elderly man shaking his <laughs> fist at the gas station sign. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's what's happening. As an, as an elderly man who shakes his fist at the gas station sign myself. Yeah. I, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, but I, it was very interesting for all of my, my critique of, of mainstream media, especially at times. I, I'm a fan of NPR. I'm a fan of PBS NewsHour, mm. as you know. But that's but that said, I heard um, their economics guy, their finance guy the other day on, on, on NPR, basically fact-checking the president and saying, 
they're not making the gas stations don't make any money off of gas. Right. Basically, the margin is so thin they make money off of the snacks they yes. sell inside yeah. the gas station. The well, yeah. gas often is a loss leader. You should be asking remember. the people who make fried pies. Yeah, so <laughs> they lower their prices. Exactly. This <laughs> is this is the president <laughs> who said the buck stops with him. Who says he's not going to blame anybody else? Yeah. And his entire strategy on this, on meat prices, on everything is just oh, it's big corporate greed. He's done it mm-hmm. again and again, and I don't think it's ever resonated. So <laughs> I, I just I, I don't know why they don't just. Get a new horse. I, I, I'm sort of like thinking of him though, just like wandering into <laughs> random places and like, you need to lower the price of these Subway sandwiches, or you know, this fruit stripe gum is outrageous. Like I just, it just the idea of him just demanding random commodities have lower prices. I'd, sort I'd of love, funny him, to I'd love somebody to ask him what the price of any of these things are. Oh, it's it's going to be a blue yeah. banana thing. Too damn high, what's, I can tell you that. What's the price of one <laughs> banana? $10? He has literally become the, the rent is too damn high guy. I mean, that's it. And this is this is what I think is the, like the biggest problem, too, with this, is they keep he keeps going, we're doing everything we can. They're like, well, what are you doing? We're doing everything we can. And it's like, well, what are you doing? We're, well, we're doing everything. We that's their only answer to everything. It's like we're just doing. Well, if the Republicans like, okay, ended the filibuster, but the thing is, they're not because if they were really doing everything they can, if they were really doing everything they can, they would unleash yeah. America's full capacity. By the way, what you know, the, the the European stuff we were talking about. Did you see the clip of him talking to Macron about you know he, you know Biden was wanting to go sort of press the Saudis in the in the Middle Eastern countries for more production, and Macron was having to explain to him like, buddy, they're maxed out. Mm-hmm. There's no more. It's here. It's here. We have more. We can do more. But he's so beholden uh, to these climate activists that it, it's amazing to me. He will turn it off here, but then he'll go beg Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and Iran and all these kinds. Of, he'll beg, beg these people, but turn it off here. It makes no sense. This is, I guess, a bigger question I have for you just uh, in, in, you know, in the political world as far as the tangled webs we weave. These, this is what happens, I guess, when you have these coalitions that you depend upon to be able to win election in the first place. And you get to the point where you've you've all these different entanglements are out there and then you just it seems to be frozen by them or just so entangled by these he in other words you get to the point where you're elected but then you're you have very little room to pivot. And well I I disagree. He has room to pivot. It's just they live without in this, without pissing them off. But they live in this these guys live in a bubble. I was on um Sirius XM this morning with Julie Mason. She does the POTUS show in the mornings. And, and she was sort of just marveling at just how out of touch the progressive left is. On And she said, look, it's a center-right country, and they seem to think that everybody wants unlimited abortion. And everybody is for them on this climate stuff. And, and they just don't get it. Like, they don't understand that it's basically a, a center, center-right country and that we're a middle-of-the-road country. But what's amazing is Biden ran his whole campaign essentially pledging to be a moderate center of the country kind of guy. And what's been so shocking about this presidency is not that he's been a left-wing Democrat, which I think we expect. It's just how beholden, even in the face of these massive crisis problems that we face in our economy, he's not only is he beholden, he doubles and triples down on it to his own detriment. He's now sitting in the mid-30s. Yeah, and every once in a while, they, they kind of slip up on this too. And they'll say things like, no, actually, we want to transition away from fault. Like, we yeah. want you to feel the pain of these yeah. gas prices instead of just being like, well, we're doing everything we can. The, the Republicans are blocking everything we're trying to do, which, of course, we know is nonsense. But every once in a while, they keep slipping up, too. And it's showing their true colors because they are beholden to this this r- really progressive ideology that wants 
to, to do like seriously believes we should all be driving electric vehicles like has no middle ground on this issue it is really like believing those sorts of things it's 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 just crazy yeah he, he really you brought up the word pivot I mean a lot of times presidents will pivot after that first midterm you know uh, Clinton pivoted after the 94 midterms Obama tried you know pivoted to some degree after the 2010 midterms Trump of course did not pivot <laughs> but but you've seen presidencies pivot before after facing and and I mean it's quite apparent that he needs a change of direction. I mean, and not just a communications change, but they need a policy change of direction now. I mean, they, they are in for a bloodbath this fall, but but I just, I do not get the feeling they, they can find it within themselves to pivot because this is like a religion. This mm-hmm. climate stuff is a religion. Abortion, I mean, the Democratic Party has basically become a one-issue party. Abortion is there BAE and and it, it, and when that happened they dropped everything else and they want to make this issue the center of this election when you got two-thirds of the country worried about their pocketbooks it, it they are so beholden to these people who were so out of touch with two-thirds of the country I just I don't know that they have it in them to find the pivot. So are they all scared of an AOC tweet in the way that congressional yes. Republicans were terrified of a Trump tweet for for four years? I want to ask you, Jared, about the, uh, the this Harvard-Harris poll that you shared. Oh, yes. Uh, and because this seems to me, yeah. as yeah. far as what you're talking about, Scott, uh, as far as this country being center-right, and I talked a moment ago about the Monmouth poll showing where abortion is showing up compared to the economic issues. And this Harvard-Harris poll, which asks Americans specifically about the Roe v. Wade uh, case being overturned, yeah. And, and first of all, in the, in the fact that I think 55% of respondents said they opposed it being overturned, 45% saying they supported it, that in and of itself was somewhat surprising given the fact of all the media coverage. Yes, yeah. Uh, Joe, you have the numbers pulled up here, so I'll let you go through some of them. But um, we, we were talking about this before we get on, that they sort of lie to you about the main issue, and then when you start to break it down, it becomes more clear that we are this kind of center-right or at least moderate party, right? And and I feel for guys like... Country. Country. Party. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Country. And and so I feel for people like you know, Tim Ryan in Ohio who's trying to maybe drive this middle lane. And I don't, I, I don't is, feel bad for him. Well, <laughs> maybe not personally, but you know, just from a, a communications perspective. And so uh, this poll that, again, looked at uh, Roe or Casey, you know, post uh, the decision last week... Um, when asked about specific weeks yes. of abortions, right? So, you know, there's this idea that uh, Roe sort of legalized abortion, get rid of it, get, getting rid of it, uh, bans all abortions. Of course, we know is not true, but this is the lie that, that the left has fed to people. So, out of the, uh, I'll read right from this National Review article, out of the options presented to them, 72% of respondents said that they supported abortion up to 15 weeks. Which is what they're doing the in this exact that issue was at stake and Dobbs. Yes. So don't repeat that uh, closer uh, to the microphone. So. 15 weeks. Set, you had three quarters of the country that thought fi- a 15-week ban was reasonable, which was exactly, exactly the what? Mississippi law in yes. Dobbs that yes. was before the Supreme Court. And by the way, is roughly what virtually every country in Europe has. Right. And you have all these celebrities like, well, I'm going to go to Europe now, where we're at, they're actually free. I'm like, they have more restrictive abortion than we do. Yeah, right. nearly it, half the country, 49 percent, want only six weeks. Yeah, which of course is uh, some of the heartbeat bills here, both in Kentucky absolutely. and some other states. So you you have this center right country 
that when you actually explain to them what the issue is, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes and sense this is, to but me. This, and this is, but, what's, this is what's politically... Th- th- my takeaway from this is that you've got the Democrats who are hot to trot on this issue, and the media, of course, is aligned with them on this, but none of them have stopped to ask, is our position on this actually popular? And their position on it is actually not all that complicated. It's unlimited abortion all the way from mm-hmm. start to finish with no restrictions at, at all whatsoever. Zero. That's their position. That is not a majority position in this country. Now, an outright and total ban on all abortion in all instances is also not a majority position. But the but that's not really the position of the Republican Party. It is the position of some Republicans, and obviously you're going to have a hodgepodge of state laws out there. But most people, most people, mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought this poll up, Jared, most people want something resembling like what they had in Mississippi that sparked the Supreme Court case but there's not a single Democrat, I don't think, in the U.S. Congress that would vote for that. Oh, they did. They tried it in the Senate, the abortion all the way through up until the moment of birth, and it didn't even get 50 votes. A majority of the U.S. Senate voted against this bill. When Joe Biden and all of them are tweeting that we need to codify Roe, yeah, put it on the floor. Put your idea of what abortion is going to be on the floor and let the American people see how radical it really is and how few votes that a bipartisan majority is against it. So they're in a position now, if you look at the national priorities from the Monmouth poll that we talked about, so the issue that they say is now the most important issue, the only issue that matters, abortion. Well, only 5% of the people agree with them about that. Then you look at their position on that issue in this Harvard-Harris mm-hmm. survey that Jared brought up. Yeah. It's a, a, a slim, you know, a very, very small minority of people agree with unlimited abortions, zero through 40 weeks. So you have a party that is completely a one-issue party on an issue that is so far down the list, and then even their own position on it is so unpopular, and yet they think this is the panacea that's going to save this election? Yeah. No way. I, I believe it might have been the this, this same poll, too. I don't know if it was mentioned in that story, but, um, Scott, you talked about them thinking this is kind of like the panacea for the Democrat Party. I believe 26% of Democrats said that this would energize them to go vote. 26% of Republicans said yeah. it. So it's just a wash. Well, right? remember, so like, we, if, we, have, we have empirical evidence on this from a recent political campaign. In Virginia last fall, to your point, yeah. Glenn Youngkin running as a Republican, was running on sort of normal gubernatorial issues. McAuliffe and the Democrats made the whole race about two things, Trump and abortion, Trump and abortion. After the race was over, in the exit polls, the people who said they cared most about abortion voted for Youngkin by like 10 points. So he won, he actually won the abortion debate, which was a doing of the Democrats. They're the ones who injected it into the campaign. And then more people actually voted for Youngkin, who said it was their top issue. They're about to make the same mistake again. They're trying to make an issue of something that's not the core issue for the people who are going to vote in this election. That's Virginia is a really good lesson in a lot of ways, not just for what the, how the Democrats screwed it up, but how the Republicans saved it. They had a smart candidate who ran a strong campaign sticking to the issues people care about. Scott, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a bloodbath in November unless Republicans trip over their own feet and screw it up but, by nominating bad candidates, by getting out over their skis on the these issues by getting away from what the people are talking about. I think it, it's Republicans' race to lose, but, you know, Republicans can lose it. <laughs> you know, not to denigrate our profession, but, you know, this ain't rocket science. I mean, the universe is like handed Republicans an absolute roadmap for winning this election. It's called Joe Biden is in the crapper. Inflation is terrible. The economy is bad. You're worried about gas prices and paying your bill. I mean, this is not 
rocket mm-hmm. science, and it's a bad idea to thumb your nose at the universe. The, the universe has <laughs> handed the Republicans a clear, easy-to-understand how-to manual right here, and to deviate would be a huge mistake. I have two observations to ask you about. One is this reminds me the the, the uh, divorcing of fact from feeling uh, that's happening here reminds me a lot of the Georgia voting issue oh. because that was something that was yes. you know the, the facts of the case were much different than yes. than the um, than my truth if you will, but uh, but but that's a, that's the second nature of all this and and all of you are are media animals as well as political ones. And to the extent to which the, the, the Youngkin situation, you certainly had maybe a local media covering that race. But when you have a whole national media, which we've already known has bought into these narratives, yep. and since they're going to be on the side of this is an election to end all elections, either basically it's Handmaid's Tale or else, or Biden basically, or the Democrats. My, my question is, you're saying to me, Scott, and Kevin and Jerry, I think you're agreeing that this is a roadmap that the Republicans just don't screw it up. But what about that other factor? You have basically the institutions of the mass media and the narratives out there, which are telling a very different story. Doesn't That's a lot to overcome, in my opinion. It is. I agree with you. But if you just look at the early polling on all this, the Harvard-Harris poll, the Monmouth poll, it doesn't look like it's working to me. I mean, I, I keep getting these people, reporters keep calling me and asking me, uh, are you worried about abortion? Are you worried about abortion? I'm like, no, I'm not worried about it. If I were the Democrats, I would be worried that they have no answer on inflation and gas prices and, and uh, the economy and people feeling anxiety about their financial situation. You're asking me to feel anxiety over abortion? It's it's like the 10th most important issue. Why aren't you asking Joe Biden if he feels anxiety over the fact that he's got no answer on the top five issues that account for two-thirds of the you know number one issue of the American people? It, 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 I, I don't know what I don't know how to answer that. It's like they, we can all see the same polls, and they look at it and say, "Well, pretty clear to us, abortion's a top issue." And I'm like, "Is there a gas leak in here? Like, am I the only? What what is happening right now?" And this is literally like two thirds of the way down the list. Yeah, uh, there was a story a couple weeks ago about how one million people have switched parties to the Republican Party, which is far outpacing Democrats and outpacing past years in some of these really significant states, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, if in this sort of average year you would see like 58%, you're seeing 65, 70% switching to the Republican Party. And their basic message, and this story sort of outlines this, is like, I don't agree with everything about the Republican Party, but the other guys are effing crazy yes. right now. Like, I have been Democrat my whole life, or I've been an independent, but like, I'm looking at that sign, and I just know I don't want to be a part of whatever they're doing. The article by Steve Peoples and Aaron Kessler of the Associated Press says, Nowhere is the shift more pronounced and dangerous for Democrats than in the suburbs. Yes. Where well-educated swing voters who turned against Trump's Republican Party in recent years appear to be swinging back. That's exactly right. And and that's been another question of, of this January 6th hearing situation. I mean, you look at the Democrat strategy right now. They're just lurching from one thing to the next, hoping that that becomes the most important issue. Oh, it's going to be Trump in January sixth. It's going to be abortion. It's going to you know a few months. It's going to be voting rights. It's going to be climate. No, it's not. It's really not. They're hoping and praying that something upends the issue apple cart here. These suburban voters, they delivered the big Democrat wins in eighteen. They delivered and specifically white male suburban voters. You look at the post-2020 election, white, college-educated males, wasn't the women, 
It was the men in the suburbs turned against Donald Trump and went for Joe Biden. These people are coming back to the Republican Party because they're not, they were promised less anxiety and sort of a moderate president that you don't even hear about every day. And what have they gotten? More anxiety and a president not, that not only do you hear from every day, but it leaves you scratching your head every single <laughs> I day. I think Joe Biden, though, may have hit upon the antidote here because he tweeted out, I saw this, he says, quote, due to the pandemic, kids are behind in math and reading. We know how to help bridge this gap, calling on schools to use American Rescue Plan funds to expand tutoring, summer learning, etc. So hasn't maybe he solved it. I mean, it's interesting. He's it's, lying. Just general, just generally, the pandemic caused the learning loss. Just I, the pandemic, I, glossing I, totally over the fact that it was his party that closed the schools and kept them closed all over the country, except in red states in some cases, unnecessarily. I, they, they, these guys. <laughs> now we, like, we mentioned the polling a second ago. This is where, um, and I was a political reporter for many years. You're you're a strategist, and so this is the. And I've watched you and tried to figure out, okay, how do they know what's going to hit at that moment of when people are, are making that decision in the ballot box, or perhaps in the week leading up to it, if they're doing by mail-in ballots, notwithstanding. But that said, because for instance, when we did the uh, the. Uh, our year in review or kind of our predictions for the year. We talked about Roe v. Wade, and I was convinced in my head that Roe v. Wade would be overturned and it would be a defining issue for the midterms. You're a member of the of the media. You're okay. still that, that, is true. <laughs> no, that is true. You're programmed so, to be wrong. But, part, but, part, <laughs> but interestingly, and, and to this point about this poll informing me as well as just life informing me I mean, and seeing what's, what's we're surrounded by, you know, it's, it's at, at that moment from back in December, I'm thinking, gosh, that will be immediate. They'll overturn it at the end of June. The midterms will be just a few months later, and that. But I'm realizing now, the abortion thing, the the the, the Dobbs case was overturned almost two weeks ago, and I'm not saying it's an afterthought right now. But people have moved on as far as their lives are concerned. Well, some of the air came out of the balloon because of the leak. I think um, it's pretty yeah. clear to me yeah. that that the leaker was a, a liberal, somebody inside the court who was hoping to basically you know, uh, pressure and intimidate the Supreme Court into not doing it. That didn't work. But so, you know, in some ways people had a couple months to prepare emotionally for when it actually happened. Mm -hmm. And so there was outrage and there were protests and somebody tried to kill Brett Kavanaugh. But, but I think the air coming out of the balloon in advance must, must be part of the reason why this thing has faded to some degree now, don't you think? I mean, it just wasn't as shocking when it happened because everybody knew it was yeah. going to happen. You know who else had months to prepare is Joe Biden. And there's a, a story out today that even though he had these months to come up with something, he, he's been caught flat-footed. He has no response to this other than, well, the justices are really disappointing and the Supreme Court is bad and maybe we should codify Roe. But no, nothing to really but get excited he, but, about. But what can he do? You know, I'm not going to – I'm not the a court. Democrat strategist. But, what can uh, he do? Break the filibuster, expand the court. What can he do that's rational? <laughs> okay. I mean, honestly, I'm just, I mean, what I'm can just saying he do? Is it's, you don't want to create abortion tents on federal lands and red states. I mean, Actually, th- that's going to happen. Uh, there will be. I, I think military posts will become abortion clinics for the states in, in which they're located. You believe that we are going to put abortion tents on military bases? I that think is such like so far beyond the pale. Not even just taxpayer-funded abortions at that point. I'm saying is that the, 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 I, I would not be shocked. But won't, but but do, well, here's what I don't get about this idea. Do federal lands in a, let, let's say Kentucky, let's say take a state that doesn't have, that will have limited abortion or no abortion access. 
because it's federal land in that state, can you do whatever you want? Is it like an embassy? Like, can you just do whatever you want I think, in there? I think the military has a whole different story. I think if you have a military post... But what about post, like a national park? Like, could they put up an abortion tent next to Abraham Lincoln's log cabin? I mean, that's when I, I heard I think Elizabeth, that's what Elizabeth Warren is. Watching. That's what she wants. She literally wants to put up an abortion tent, you know, at Yellowstone. I because mean, this is nothing crazy. like a serious medical procedure. I'm just saying is there will be there obviously are, are uh, uh, comprehensive medical facilities on many military posts, such as in Kentucky, Fort Campbell, which straddles Tennessee and Kentucky. I'll be very curious to see. Their hospital there. People would be outraged if I, you took a state. We'll see. That's let that a legislature in a state mm-hmm. passed a clear some kind of line or limits on abortion as as the Supreme Court has said they can do, mm-hmm. only to see that superseded. Uh, I tell you, it's radical. Right. That, Absolutely that, that is, radical. Would you be surprised, Jared? It uh, that specifically, yes. It wouldn't surprise me if he tried to do something like that. I think back to like the eviction moratorium. Where it was very clear what he was doing was illegal, and he still was like, eh, "Go ahead." Yeah, they don't care. I, I think like, I think the White House already like, like threw cold water all over this and said, "Oh, is that right? Okay. You guys are trying to help, but that's actually yeah. a terrible idea for okay. ten reasons." So yeah, that specifically I think is a bad idea. But it wouldn't shock me if they tried to do something ridiculous and just kind of wait out the court system and see if they could. Well, kind of reminds me. Yeah, I like it. That's sending, a good point. They, they have literally, they have, they have admittedly just taken blatantly illegal, uh, unconstitutional, yeah. and said, "Well, we're just gonna." Let it ride for a while because it takes a long time for it to get through. They, you're 100 percent right. They, they, they mailed free masks and COVID tests to every household in the country. Maybe they'll just start mailing out abortion pills. Well, they mailed crack pipes out too. So I, mentioned, I mentioned, I mentioned, like I mentioned Kentucky. There. Kentucky had a trigger law that went into effect, or it should have, after the uh, the Dobbs case in the in the Roe v. Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court. But there is a circuit court judge in Kentucky which is basically stopping the Kentucky law from going into effect. And at some point, you have to wonder. You know who who makes the, the the general assembly passed the law. It is law, and so to who makes that decision as to after the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled they can do that. I'm just very confused by by ultimately the I guess the separation of powers and and who decides these things. That's yeah. a great point. And and there was a hearing on that in Louisville, Kentucky uh, earlier today on on the trigger law. And just just following the coverage on Twitter, it's a lot of policy arguments being made to a judge. Yeah. And a, yeah. a judge is not supposed well, to be answering those questions. No, but you know what? In Kentucky, I'm just going to say it. We have kangaroo court system here. I mean, it, on many instances, we have judges op- absolutely operating like right. kangaroo courts. Right. The Supreme Court many cases, some of these circuit guys like and, and they get very little oversight. They get very little coverage. But the media coverage of all this in Kentucky has been just, <laughs> it's just been crazy. And and uh, and the legislature passed clear statutes. There is a constitutional amendment on the ballot this fall that would make clear, if it passes, that the Kentucky Constitution does not offer a right to an abortion. By the way, the Kentucky Constitution was passed in 1890-something. I mean, and so and so uh, that's going to be on the ballot. Kentucky is, I bring it up because Kentucky is one of a handful of states where you're going to have some kind of constitutional referendum or judicial races and or judicial races that, that may wind up being battlegrounds for this overall uh, debate over, you know, what can state legislatures do now in the wake of the Roe ruling. And it's not going to be the first one. Kansas, on August 2nd, has a constitutional amendment on its ballot, a special election. August 2nd, Kansas, a pro-life amendment explicitly saying that their constitution would not have a right to an abortion. I think that vote is going to be one that people are watching. Back in a moment, or back to your point, uh, Kevin, about uh, frustration with the Biden administration flat-footed on this. 
I want to ask you, Scott, as a former uh, White House staffer with George W. Bush, we saw the news um, on Wednesday that the White House Communications Director, Kate Bedingfield, plans to depart later this month. Uh, so this is now you have the press secretary, Jen Psaki, has already left. Now she's leaving. I mean, frankly, a lot of Democrats have said throughout this entire presidency, the problem is not the policy. The problem is the message. You know, is is, is, is there a connection here with what's going on there? Or what, what, what is what is your take on as a White House veteran of what's happening there? I think these people are so convinced that they are so right and everyone else is so stupid that that's the only thing they could say to themselves. Oh, it's just it's just the message. Our policies couldn't possibly be wrong. I'm saying you have the press secretary and the communications director leaving. Is that a sign of dissatisfaction with what they're doing? I was curious. Or is it, or have they, have they given up on him? Well, I, I mean, look, there's been some stories out lately just about how hard Joe Biden is on his staff. He's yelling at people and... He is profane in private and, you know, calling up mid-level White House aides and blaming them for... Oh, not Uncle Joe. Me- I thought he was nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's been some there's been some reporting just about how miserable it's been in there. So am I surprised that people in those... I mean, by the way, those two jobs are pressure cookers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in the line of fire every day because there's not a, you know, a politician alive who ever thinks they're getting a fair shake from the media. <laughs> and this guy apparently is as bad as Donald Trump ever was <laughs> when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to believing he's being unfairly treated by the press, which, by the way, is amazing to me. When you consider just how much covering up for him and just how much excusing of Joe Biden goes on in the sort of daily media stream, and it's still not good enough. Yeah. It's still not good enough. There was a uh, Babylon Bee uh, tweet story <laughs> yesterday. It was like, Joe Biden calls on nation's pollsters to raise approval ratings. <laughs> but, but, that's not that far from the truth. It's like, I mean, this guy gets so Remember, much more benefit of the doubt it was a than th- Donald Trump or George W. Bush ever got. It was a threat to democracy that Donald Trump watched cable news in the middle of the day and that he had opinions on it. But now Biden is consuming just as much media and is very irate about it. And it's no fine. one's talking about it. It's fine. It's apparently just fine. So I, I don't know is the answer, but I have to tell you, those are hard jobs. And... Um, and given what we've learned about the way his West Wing operates right now, I'm not surprised to see the turnover. I think in the case of, of those people, too, especially Jim, when you become press secretary, you become famous. Right. And so there is a moment of cashing out. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's a moment where you, you basically cash that in to uh, the next act unless you wait too long. And so I, I suspect... Well, it's only been, a, what, 16 months? How long has he been president? I mean, you're in January 15, of last year, so you're like and a half. 15, 16 yeah. years by now. It feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, is that typical this this early on? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Trump had quite I'll a bit. Look at Scaramucci last. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 11, a good point. Eleven days. Eleven days. <laughs> he's, by the way, he's of one of my muted words. Like I, I literally. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do muted words here yeah. for Scene Red Herd here in a moment. Speaking yeah. of Scene Red Herd, uh, I also just briefly wanted to touch on. I just thought it was an interesting article. Uh, Lisa Pruitt, who was uh, a professor of law at the University of California, Davis, was published in Politico. This is back on June 24th, but we had this our, our first time mm-hmm. chatting about this. But she was talking about J.D. Vance and about basically the, the disconnect of, of – um, and where J.D. Vance kind of uh, first identified that in Hillbilly Elegy about sort of like the, the, the working class who are working and the, and, the, and the white middle class who are on the dole. And and sort of the, the the difference is there, but anyway, there's a, the disconnect more than anything else, perhaps, is from people's view of these people from outside and yeah. how they're considered to be political constituencies. Anyway, I think you all read it. I was just curious what your what your thoughts were on that uh, on the observations that were made there. 
Yeah, I mean, th- those are like the my people. My dad's blue collar. Like the, I love the line in there where she's like, um, you know, they hate the union guys because like the union protects them and they're the ones slowing up the guy's trucking route. Like that's yeah. my dad complaining about the like the guy who's not working, getting paid the same as everybody else. Um, you know, didn't come from much, not college educated, so. Uh, it was refreshing to see somebody like write about these people like they're they're real humans. Um, the the sticking point for me in there that that was really I don't know shocking or my biggest takeaway is when she you know she says she was talking about these types of people to her like coastal elite friends, um, which again I'm a, I'm a coastal elite so I take some <laughs> uh, I, I don't like that term always but not everybody on the coast is like an elite but um, the the you're, first you're a coastal. <laughs> The first assumption <laughs> that these people have as to why somebody who's, you know, white working class goes to blue collar job 40 hours a week, pays their bills on time and rejects, you know, the welfare state or rejects the idea of, you know, uh, you know, overly subsidizing these people's lives is because they must be racist. Right. Well, that must be it. It must be race. They don't want the black people to, to succeed. They don't understand their white privilege and they want to take it away. That is so you have to be so shockingly disconnected from these people because, as she points out in this story, everybody they're talking about is white. The people they're complaining about, the people that they are looking at and saying, you need to work harder. You're bringing down the, you know, whatever, like this community. You're the one who's, you know, jacking up my taxes because X, Y, and Z. You're the one who's, you know, bringing plight to this town. They're all white. It, it's such a disconnect from what the, these people's real lives are. It's just so shocking to me that the first instinct of her like coastal elite friends that she talks about as well that must be racism. It's what was disgusting. Inter- what was interesting to me about the piece was the how she I think she correctly captured the delineation that Vance has made between you know the the, the working poor who are trying, mm-hmm. who follow the rules, right. who try who, who are who are trying to to live lives according to the constructs of of you know civil society and then the hard living yeah. People, I think it was the term. She right? says, she says, settled working class versus the hard living. The hard living, and people who are sort of constantly on the brink, and and the disdain that Vance has for that hard living group that's constantly, you know, sort of not playing by society's rules when it comes to getting up every day and doing what you're supposed to do in order to achieve the American dream. What I what I was thinking about as I was reading it is. It, it strikes me that through the pandemic and, and now, you know, in, under a Democratic administration, we have created potentially more people who are going to be on the public uh, dole in some way and who probably don't have any inclination to ever get off of it. And and so I think some of these policies are going to wind up exacerbating this tension that exists between the people who are trying, who are getting up and going to work every day, who pay their taxes, who show up when they're supposed to show up and follow the rules. We create a bigger class of people who are probably going to fall into this hard living, but we've made it easier to be in the hard living group. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I, well, I'm interested to see how that plays out in our politics over the next that, couple of years. That's my question. It's, it's interesting to, or it, it's easy to understand why these people are upset. That I mean, this is these are the forgotten people that Donald Trump talked about. Is that they're they're working hard every day, you know, nailed to the bone, trying not to be in this hard living category, and no one. It seems like no one is out there working for them. I mean, it's a it's a story that once you start to think about it, really makes sense. And Vance, you know, of course, as the article pointed out, had plenty of experience with the hard living people yeah, in his yeah. family. I mean, his, his his mother, his own mother, yeah. and. And so, I, I mean, he came by his views honestly. I mean, through you know absolute personal interaction with the two different kinds of 
of folks, and so I don't begrudge him his opinions. I think a lot of the the Democrats do, and I think mm-hmm. they sort of people have, you know, they they look down on JD and 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 sort of have made fun of him for, you know, becoming the kind of person he is and the campaign that he had to run to win the primary. But I I, I think that article did capture some of some of why people are attracted to him because he had keen insights born out of personal experience that actually do explain quite a bit of our um, white working class political dynamics right now. You bring up the race factor, uh, Jared, or at least the perceived race factor, and the the author also points out, and I I always remember this as well as being this... uh, uh, aggravation from, from among most of the folks in flyover country when Obama said in 2012, if, if you've got a business, you didn't build that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it seems to me that... I think my dad still complains about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we called him up yeah. right now, he might drop that. So, I mean, going back to all that, yeah. I mean, you, brought, you mentioned Donald Trump, obviously, Kevin, and, and, and taking, you know, exploiting that. Uh, I mean, I've always said, you know, that Barack Obama begat Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't exist as a political force if not for Barack Obama alienating these people. And and I think that, so my question, I guess, and this is a, you know, $50 million question, is that, so if you agree with that, so what does, what comes next? I mean, you've already pointed out that Joe Biden has not quite succeeded in his goal to kind of calm things down and be moderate and normalize and just get back to normal again. So I don't know where we go from here, though, because right now the people are just pissed. Everyone is just uh, angry at each other. There's more distrust than ever. There's more, frankly, if 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 you, if you think people were looking down their noses at flyover country when Barack Obama was president, how how do they feel about him now? And Barack Obama seems like a moderate, right? Well, I mean, in retro compared to what we have today, yeah. I mean, if you I mean you think about can't 2008 campaign and first term mm-hmm. Barack Obama versus what. Joe Biden and the Democrats are doing today. Yeah. Holy cow! I yeah. mean, he seems like a moderate Republican presidency compared to. Now he got more liberal as time went on, but that that early stage Obama was was pretty conservative, compared far, far more institutional. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, and not sort of reactionary and not to everything. And of course, you know, he existed. You know, the first part of his presidency existed just before social media kind of became the dominant yeah. mm-hmm. conversational force, and you Good wonder point. you wonder how that has exacerbated. Some of the issues you just raised, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what comes next. I know what the American people don't want to come next. They don't want Trump or Biden. Right. Yeah. I mean, eighty percent of the American people want literally want them to both go away, and yet you have them both out there as we sit here and record this podcast tonight, saying they're gearing up to run again. And at this point, are they both most likely to win their respective nominations? I would think so. I mean, I, I, but I think both are going to face a primary. Uh, of course, in Trump's case, it could be 10, 12 people, which, uh, which is exactly how he got the nomination in 16. <laughs> exactly. And so the fragmentation will help him. I mean, it would be hard for me to imagine a sitting president not getting the nomination of their party in the modern era. However, if you look inside some of this polling and the percentages of Democrats who say it's like... 70% of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run again. I mean, maybe some of those people vote for him out of just loyalty to the sitting president, but Lord have mercy. The man has lost control of his own party, and he's not even two years in yet. Do you think Gavin Newsom is is completely... I mean, the, him kind of putting himself out there now to like basically face Ron DeSantis uh, as a proxy battle, perhaps, what does that say about Kamala Harris? For the California ex-California senator now VP, and for the California governor to be doing this, are you, are you following this at all? Oh yeah, Newsom running the ads. Well, I think he thinks he's filling a vacuum yeah. where you've got this all these Democrats who are 
disappointed in Biden and don't think he's accurately reflect. This is the thing about Trump. Trump was a perfect mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, he was able to reflect the emotional state of his constituency almost perfectly, almost all the time. It's like this. He was a genius empath, according to Daryl Hammond, who used to play him on Saturday Night Live. Those are the smartest quotes about Trump. He was a genius empath. Biden is not. And he is not perfectly reflecting the emotional impulses of his base. He, he tries sometimes, but he just, he doesn't gather their emotions and reflect them. And so I think Newsom senses this. And Harris has just been such a disaster as a communicator. I mean, I think he senses a vacuum where this base of people wants somebody to to absorb and reflect their emotions, but they're not getting it out of the White House. But at the same time, anybody who tells Gavin Newsom or they used to tell uh, Andrew Cuomo that they have a shot at a national ticket with, you know, they are the most far left governors out there. Uh, if they're really thinking that they have a shot at this, um, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. And it, but all, these, but all these possible the Democrats are far left. There, right. There's not a single moderate. De- the myth of the moderate Democrat is over. Biden got away with it in 2020. And it was largely because Trump you know, was such a disaster mm-hmm. there as he went down the stretch. Biden got away with it. He got away with it because he wasn't Bernie Sanders and he wasn't Donald Trump. I mean, that's how he got away with it. There's not this is this lane is not going to exist. Biden can't run as a moderate in 24 cuz he's obviously not governed like one. None of these other Democrats are going to run as a moderate. So I hear you saying Newsom's so far left he couldn't win, but to win the nomination of the Democratic Party, you couldn't run as a reasonable person. You couldn't or, or as a, a straight white man. You couldn't run <laughs> as a reasonable person. Want to get to scene red herd here in a moment, but first, uh, Kevin Grout is back with Kevin's Quiz. Oh, it is! It is good to be back with Kevin's Quiz. Uh, this week, I want to spend some time making fun of Vice President Kamala Harris, like we just oh, that uh, right? were talking about. <laughs> Didn't realize that. Uh, who we found Step out right this it. week, she couldn't spell the word Louisiana. Did you see this? Yes. I did not see this. At an interview last just like week, potato. Uh, Hold on. Worse. Just, just let me get there. Right? Okay, all right, it's all, right, all in here. Stop interrupting <laughs> Kevin's quiz. All right. Uh, the VP sat in front of a sign her team prepared that I guess uh, defaulted to the more phonetic Luciana. Luciana. Forgot one of that those important or Louisiana. Louisiana. Louisiana might be. Yeah. Uh, absolutely disgraceful. Uh, but this week's quiz was going to make fun of her and her spelling and vice presidential spelling blunders throughout oh. history. <laughs> Sorry, I, uh, I did, but I did beside stuff on you. Vice President Harrison, as Joe mentioned, Dan Quayle's unfortunate potato. Our VPs have been pretty okay at spelling, so there wasn't enough for a whole quiz. Okay. So instead, we're going to celebrate. Uh, so instead, here's some algebra. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm still in a patriotic mood, and we're going to continue the celebration of July Fourth. And uh, when you say July 4th, everybody thinks 1776, but there have been 240-some other July 4ths in our nation's history with some uh, pretty noteworthy uh, happenings. Mm -hmm. So uh, for for this quiz, everything happened on July 4th, uh, and you're going to tell me what it was. Are you ready? Sure. Let's do it. Number one. Uh, and we'll keep with American Patriots. July 4th uh, has may have the highest concentration of births and deaths of American presidents. Four chief executives either began life or kicked the bucket on July 4th. Can you name all four? Well, well I know certainly th- two were famous because Adams and Jefferson, Jefferson right. died in, in Adams. 1836. And Adams. And Math. Yes. And Adams' <laughs> final words were Jefferson lives. Jefferson although, survives. 
And he, but he wasn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know that. They didn't. So know right. Those are the Twitter, easy two. But... Adams and Jefferson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another member of the founding generation, the last member of the Virginia dynasty, uh, who had a doctrine for everything. Monroe. 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 And this third one, born on July fourth. I saw it tweeted the other day too, and I can't remember it. Oh. Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. 1872. No, okay. This is the wrong one. Okay, 1872. <laughs> this former Massachusetts governor was elected VP and became president at the death of Warren G. Harding, though Calvin you'd Coolidge. never hear about it from him. Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Silent Cal. Was born on July born 4th. Born jo- July 4th. Scott and I had a good, uh, actually, back-to-back weeks, but we weren't there at the same time, but we uh, Calvin Coolidge spent a lot of time in South Dakota near yeah. Mount Rushmore, and they have a mountain named after him there, and uh, okay. anyway, great, great, great patron. I went up there. Did you? That, that yeah. overlook, yeah. All right. Good quiz. Number two. Yes. A convention in this future state officially voted to join the Union on July 4th, 1845, giving up its own sovereignty. What's that state? 1845? Say it again now, the first part of your question. A convention in this future state officially voted to join the Union on July 4th, 1845, giving up its sovereignty. What's that state? Its own sovereignty. Texas? Texas. Yeah, is that right? Because it it viewed itself as its own It was a republic. Right. Uh, so it, it joined the next year, but they had a convention on July 4, 1845. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think about the, the various battles there with Zachary Taylor and friends and when all those happened. I guess that was around the same time. All right. Number three. Now we're going to move into the 20th century, and That's, we have an uh-huh. audio clip. Name the man who announced his retirement on July 4, 1939, to a sold-out crowd. I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I'll let Joe take it. The Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Amazing speech, of course. And he had just been diagnosed not that long before that with, of course, ALS, which has now been renamed for him. But just an incredible speech, an incredible man. Yeah. How old was Lou Gehrig when he retired? I don't know. I don't think he was that old. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was an amazing was, career. And he, he didn't want to speak that day, but the, the crowd demanded it. Yeah. Number four. Shout out Wally Pip. That's right. And we're going to fast forward to July 4, 1996, when Microsoft launches a new free electronic mail service. They picked the day because the platform offered a new freedom to reach any inbox around the globe. And hint, I would say it's the only mail server Joe Arnold has ever used. Really? America uh, Online? No. MSN? July 4th, no. 1996. So interesting. I had graduated from high school in May of 1996. Its name was styled as the phonetic for HTML. Hotmail? Hotmail. Hotmail. Yeah. You know, my Hotmail. wife still has a Hotmail account. Believe it or not, I still email my wife at Hotmail. Well, Hotmail is still, I mean, I, guess, I, I mean, I have an MSN account, but for a while, I think those are all the same, some of the same family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, Microsoft. Yes. Correct. Yes. <laughs> but yes, Hotmail still a thing. Hotmail. Yeah, yeah. Number five. And then last... I used to know, did you ever have like a CompuServe account? <laughs> I did not. Did you ever have AOL? I had, I had AOL, yes. Yeah. Yes. Did you, I'm sure you did. You, you, you ever put like the CD, the AOL CD in? Thing? Absolutely. I think I still have them at home. <laughs> I can I, bring I, one I, in. I know Waiting you. For the new I have no doubt that you have that. <laughs> you never know when they might come in. <laughs> All right, number five, last yeah, but not least. <laughs> On July 4, 1997, humanity broke free of previous constraints in the galaxy as the Pathfinder rover landed on and began its mission on what planet? 97? Mars? Mars. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Great day for freedom. 
Absolutely. I think that means we conquered Mars, right? And it belongs <laughs> we, we, to the United we, States we, now. We conquered uh, Mars. the flag, right? That's right. how it works. All right. Is that it? That's it. Fantastic quiz. Patriotic Kevin's quiz. For my scene, Red Herd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet my, I'm going to quote my own tweet. So I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had this brilliant thought. I must no, share. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know Nate, <laughs> Nate Silver of uh, 538 fame. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Wayne Gretzky, Joe Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... I just I did, I'm, I'm not like you. I used to have more of a Twitter following. I've lost more Twitter followers than Scott has now. You know. So but anyway, but that's that said, uh, Nate Silver on on July 4th qu- tweeted what he said unpopular opinion. Despite the various very serious threats to American democracy, he says things would be mostly fine if the balance of elected power more closely reflected the popular will. So he says, for example, Senate seats proportional to population, no electoral college, less gerrymandering here. I, I just responded to that, that, you know, gerrymandering is one thing, but the rest of his proposal is a repudiation of the American experiment and the foundations of our republic. My whole point with all this is, and this was this is my scene Red Herd, it's, it's in general, and you mentioned it before, Jared, is that the, sort of the disappointing nature of this holiday this past year was that everywhere I looked on social media was this whole concept of America is was broken from the start. Yeah was the fact that basically this, and this is so important for flyover country, is the number of people who are willing to get, give up on every institution because it's not working for them right now. Yeah. And it's just, it, I know this is not a light scene. This is, this scene is the state hurt. of American. This is where we are. The American left is I'm not getting my way in this. By the way, have you, there's never been a bigger group of miserable people. They literally control the entire government. <laughs> yeah. The House, the Senate, the presidency. And yet they're still miserable. Mm-hmm. Still miserable. They won the election. Right. And they're still miserable. It's not enough. It's never enough. Why are you so miserable? So my scene right heard was my little exchange. That, that ended up getting a, quite a, a, a lot of little... Did it? It did. What did Nate Silver say? Oh, uh, I have to look back here later on as far as what his other responses were. Too many replies. Yeah. He, can't, I think, yeah. he can't get through I think Nate right Silver trended, at least trended for me, for, for my algorithm. And that's how I saw Joe's tweet. Because Nate Silver was was trending, it, 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 but it he is, says something moronic every. Six it's it's it is fascinating though. People out there who just like literally are willing to give up on. I mean, just in a in an instant, so flippantly, mm-hmm. just give up on things on the institutions because it's not working for me right now. Right. And, right. and yet, for four years, all we heard was Donald Trump is destroying our institutions. These these folks would destroy anything to get their way in this moment, and it. I just find that. Duality of man. <laughs> They're all going to want some of these constraints in about you know, that's right. The guard eight, eight will months come back. when yeah. uh, Republicans are in charge. Hundred percent. The the like Senate by population one always like strikes me as really funny too because I just always think to myself, man, these people are going to be psyched when they figure out about the House of Representatives. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be pumped. We have one of those. They always like, cite like you know why should you know Wyoming get two senators? Right. Why should like, well, no one ever asks, like, why should Vermont get yeah, two right. senators? You know, like, why should, I mean, why shouldn't Texas get more, more senators? Yeah. I mean, I, they, 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 they all, it, it's always explained in a way that conveniently leaves out some of the advantages that they have in it. And then you have the other people in this debate who are like, the founding fathers never envisioned something like well, the electoral college. Well, <laughs> they, they literally wrote it. Well, the other, the other problem, of course, is what I, most of the responses to, to, to my tweets were like, Yes, you would defend these slave-holding, sure, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I... I it's how, how you started most of these shows, right? You're a racist bigot. That's right. Exactly right. Speaking yeah. of which, Jarrett? <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a quick scene read heard. Great. Ooh, stick to the Twitter. Our good friend Nina Jankowitz, the former oh, misinformation yeah. she got her, government. She got her treatment in the New York I, Times. I think we've oh. been. I think we've been mispronouncing her name this whole time. By the way, I think it's. I think it's. Uh, more of a yes sound than the jank. Are you saying we had misinformation regarding yes. the, the... We need to look this up. I, <laughs> I heard her on NPR at one point, and I always realized, oh, it's... The, that that that's lady who ran that disinformation. <laughs> yes. Uh, she retweeted this yes. woman, Cindy Otis, who herself is a disinformation expert, uh, and the tweet said, when misinformation makes it into a SCOTUS judge's dissent. And this was Clarence Thomas mentioning that uh, there were aborted fetal cells in the... Uh, vaccine process which the screenshot of this the politico tweet is deleted because that was misinformation (laughs) so the two misinformation people both tweeted and then retweeted misinformation and we were going to let these people be a part of the government be the arbiters of all things they wanted to be able to edit your tweets it was just magical that was just a magical moment the irony, the beauty of it. I By mean, the way, that, that whole clear, that thing rocketed around yeah. the internet and was complete and utter BS. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is amazing the amount of people on Twitter who are dedicated to just literally mashing that retweet button of every piece of garbage BS they see and have no remorse whatsoever. Yeah. And yet they have the audacity to complain about misinformation. Yeah. There's an entire industry of liberals in this country who do nothing, who do nothing. But rocket around things exactly like the, this. Because they what happens? They become part of the yeah. narrative. And then ultimately somebody finally says, oh, well, yeah, we were wrong about that. But it's too late. Yeah. It's too late. That was the more offensive thing about it. Whatever. These people are, for lack of a better term, idiots and they'll always be idiots. Politico taking 24 hours... To delete, then repost, and like with the explainer of it why was they, some it was some uh, intern that was their truth. This is my hours? truth. It must be right because I mean, it feels like it should be this, right. The, this is a good bookend for our for our podcast. I do want to point out the other misinformation. I, I just love the the uh, Elon Musk. Did you see him uh, retweeting the uh, the Paul Revere Twitter account? <laughs> yeah. So the Paul the Paul Revere Freedom and Liberty. The, the, the photograph was the British are coming. The British are coming, and then I had a little Twitter warning on there saying, "Learn how British taxes are beneficial to society." <laughs> <laughs> it does not. Well, that was the. It yeah, was a Photoshop, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, uh, but but he but he did say he tweeted it saying Twitter in 1775. Oh, so he, is a, he is. It's a good cell phone of Twitter and what it, what it looks like maybe in the future. It's literally a cell phone of Twitter. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Seen Red Heard on Kevin. Yeah, I started uh, listening to a book um, by Eric Foner, who's a, a really great uh, Civil War era historian, a short history of Reconstruction. There's a lot people don't know over there, and um, picked it out this week. What's the name of it? A Short History of Reconstruction. And I can tell oh. you, short, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a humble brag, like, oh, this is just a short, this is just a little bit of what I know. Right. Here's 900 pages for you. <laughs> Uh, my scene read heard, uh, well, first of all, I'm reading a book too, Eric Larson, The Splendid and the Vile, about the moment Winston Churchill takes over as prime minister in the Battle of Britain and, and how they withstood that. It, it's, you know, I sort of was re- began reading it in conjunction with my trip to, to Europe, but it's very fascinating. But, but I guess my more interesting scene read heard is the discussion we were having before the show of the muted words. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My muted words. So we were talking about this. So you've muted how many different words on your well, Twitter account? According to my Twitter account, I have I have literally gone into the settings and muted 22 words or <laughs> phrases. That's got to be pretty up there. I, I've okay. muted zero things. I don't know about you two. I have Well, not. here's here's why I do it. 
Because if I open my Twitter, and I use Twitter as my news feed. Like, this right. is how I sort of keep up. It's like my Chiron. Like, this is how I see the world. And I've cultivated a lot of media outlets. And just, this is how I consume. I don't, you know, this is how I get it in an instant. But occasionally you go onto Twitter and everybody you know is having an inane conversation <laughs> about something stupid to the point where I just, I need to mute this. I don't need this anymore. So I was looking back on my 22 muted phrases or words. The first one is, it's in quotes, describe your favorite. And I think at one time on Twitter, there was like this was epidemic thing, of like, yeah. describe your favorite something. And I couldn't stand it. Such, so, a, yeah. such a moment in time. You've got a time right. capsule here of your yeah. muted words. And is this the order in which you muted? I think it is, actually. But that's when Twitter tries to be Facebook, by the way, and things yeah. like that. I, well, I don't know that, though. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that. Because right. it doesn't. But anyway, I'll just All give right. you the rest describe of it. Describe your favorite. All right. Next one. In quotes, wrong side of history. Because during the Trump years, mm -hmm. I I came to believe that if you were writing in your tweets wrong side of history, you were an idiot. And I was not <laughs> interested in reading your tweets anymore. So Excellent. you're gone. Good. Grumpy cat. I, I, because at some juncture, that became... <laughs> like Literally everyone I knew was tweeting about... And I just like, this is stupid. This is not why this exists. So we, I got rid of Grumpy, grumpy cat. cat book in my house. I don't think I've ever seen a tweet about Grumpy Cat. Well, maybe you muted him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Jake Paul. Who is Jake Paul? I me I muted Jake Paul. Yeah, that's a good one. He's gone. Yeah. Uh, hashtag die hard. Because every uh, Christmas, every moron that I know yeah. and follow on Twitter, including yeah. Sean, Sean, who I'm going to malign in absentia, he they they get into these stupid effing fights about whether this is a... I could, I could care less whether it's a Christmas movie. I don't care. Right. Die hard gone. All right, I muted this green square <laughs> because I was Bro, told yeah. that if you moot the green square, it gets rid of virtually all Wordle tweets, Good. and it yeah. has worked. Wow. So green square, mute. You know, your your friend at CNN's Jake Tapper is a big Wordle retweeter. I don't and care. I, I didn't realize. First of all, I didn't know. I only thought you could mute people. I didn't realize you could mute phrases. So this, yeah. this is a revelation to me right now. Well, listen up. I've got the good one. I've got okay. the best list. All right, All right, next one. A period should end a sentence. At one point in my life, everybody I knew was arguing about whether a period should end a sentence. I can't remember why, but really? I remember I remember the day I was like, I'm putting this in the mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, the next person, Antonio Brown, who I think is a football yes. player. Yes. And yeah, everyone was yeah, having a, a meltdown about Antonio Brown one yeah. day, and I muted it. <laughs> Bean Dad. I don't remember... <laughs> I don't remember. Like a slur a bit. Somebody, somebody, <laughs> no, some. I forget what it was, but this was like it's like one of these deals where like I follow like five thousand people and four thousand nine hundred of them were <laughs> tweeting about Bean Dad. Gone, gone. All right, next. <laughs> die Hard again. I just took the hashtag <laughs> Make sure off. It's gone. So, so two grumpy cats and two diehards. Yes. Okay. Um, next, Drumpf. During the Trump uh, years, yeah, yeah. if you were tweeting the word Drumpf, D-R-U-M-P-F, I immediate I put that on the mute. You're gone. Goodbye. You're an idiot. All right. Eric Bollert. I muted Eric Bollert at some point for some reason, and I don't know why. <laughs> Who is Eric Bollert? He's a media person, yeah. but I can't remember why because I muted him. All right. Next. <laughs> Grump. Uh, there's Grumpy Cat again. All right. Next. But I capitalized the G and the C this time because I think some were still getting through. All right, next. This firewall is impenetrable. All right, next word, Greta. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, muted I Greta, and I have she, never been happier about something in my entire life. She does life. seem to have How just a lot of, just, uh, of like, 
I'm muted. I, 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 I follow her though, so I still see all these. No, okay. Greta's gone. All right. Uh, the, I just muted the word Greta. So even if you're talking about, about her, Greta, yeah, gone. Oh wait, wait. Is which which Greta? Greta, the one. Thun- Thunberg. Greta oh. Thunberg. Okay, because I, mean, I was thinking about Greta Van Susteren because she's <laughs> okay. Well, I guess she's. I guess she gets caught up so, in my yeah. net here. You're yeah. the one person thinking. All right. Her. Next person. Next thing. Liverpool. I think I follow a bunch of people who love soccer, yeah. and one and occasionally they go crazy. And it, so, yeah. I I muted Liverpool in the hopes of screening out the soccer. So that's gone. <laughs> All right, Mac Miller is a is he a singer? He's a rap. He, yeah. He's has passed. Okay, at he some died. juncture, whenever that happened, every like single person was years, tweeting yeah. about yes, yeah. gone. Yeah, Momo. What is Momo? M O M O. He's a dog, right? Momo? Well, there's more Momo Museum books. Museum of Modern. I was thinking that's MoMA. Yeah, yeah. MoMA's a dog with a. Somebody, a somebody book. should be looking this up to remind I'm us. I'm trying what to figure out is. what Bean Dad was too. And I oh, if you, I, I remember. I don't remember what Bean Dad did, but he was something, and I got so angry about it, he got on the mute list. So you can look that 1500 up. 1,500 Momo tweets in the last hour. Oh, See? Yeah, I, I what is it? What is K-pop band of sorts? Oh my God! Now I remember oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, they're gone. All right. The next thing. Salt B A E. Salt, salt Bay, Salt Bay. What the, the guy? What is that? <laughs> the guy. The guy cuts the steak and he does the salt. Wait, thing. When you said B A E before in the episode, Jared's face just like did a full reset because I don't know if anyone's ever said the three letters. It's just pronounced Bay, and he could not figure out the, the wires crossed. You know right. Salt Bay. All right, well he's gone. Scaramucci. I got so angry about the word Scaramucci appearing in my Twitter feed all the time as though this were a credible source of information that that got me. Did you have all to right. get a couple different spellings of that one too? Because uh, I, I just used, I just cut and pasted his name. Gone. All right. Taylor Gourmet. At some point, because I follow a lot of DC people, Taylor Gourmet at some point became such a fixation yep, yep. for these people. I got rid of that. And then the final one is Wordle. I just muted the word Wordle. But I was finding that wasn't catching all those mm. stupid symbols, which is what caused me to mute the green dot. Anyway, that's my list. So if you're everyone, on it, sorry. If you're doing wordles every day, make sure you text them directly to Scott. Uh, he I'll wants to know. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good list. And I have to say, there's I, I filtered out a lot of stupid crap. Had I known the number of mutes that you had, we would have truncated the rest of the conversation. But that was <laughs> yeah. that was very impressive. That was like a George Carlin. Well, well, now <laughs> I will now read the list of the 556 muted accounts that I have muted <laughs> because I only knew that you could mute accounts. I did not realize you could mute words. So again, thank you for being my. I have muted 526 according to this, and I have blocked 524 accounts. Interestingly, now do you have a record of how many people have blocked you? Mm, I don't think it shows you that. That'd I'm sure nice. some people. That would be nice to know. Yeah. But I, I will tell you, if I, I get a lot of tweets. And uh, oh my gosh, it's ten forty-seven. We gotta we gotta wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, I was saying you gotta. Uh, go. But I get a lot of t- it, profanity, or sort of you know hate hateful, mm-hmm. violent sort of rhetoric. I just I just block you. Like I right. my my Twitter account exists for my amusement, not yours. <laughs> and you're not entitled to spew profanity at me. So if you tweet at me and it's profane, Fair you're enough. gone. Gone. So very quickly, Bean Dad was this guy who went viral for this like long Twitter thread in which his daughter was trying to open a can of beans with a can opener, and he refused to show her how to do it, and like turned it in this whole like lesson about like, well, what if you put it this way? Gone. And he got destroyed <laughs> by Twitter. They pulled up old racist, anti-Semitic tweets. Dude had to deactivate his account. But Bean Dad apparently was 
like a huge thing about. See, it. I just whenever I get into my Twitter and it's just like everybody I know has ceased to exist in the plane of reality <laughs> and started all tweeting about one stupid thing that has nothing to do with what I use this thing for. I just mute it. So do you notice when you go in and it's like, there's no, no, oh, no it's tweets glorious. happening. It's <laughs> glorious. Like, as soon as I hit mute and then I close it, and I'm like, oh, it's all gone. <laughs> I just want to say as we wrap up the Flyover Country with Scott Jennings that I am singularly thankful that you did not mute the conversation about banning the DH. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> Sean, have a great time in France. We'll see you next week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.